Yo, yo, yo. It is Bare Knuckles and Brass Tacks, the cybersecurity podcast dedicated to tackling the vendor customer divide. And we're on a new day. I'm George K with the vendor side. And I'm George A, Chief Information Security Officer. And today we got a lot of things. We got some silly sales shit as usual. Uh, we got a few trends. And then uh, you and I are going to talk about personnel development not personal development but personnel development um cool so why don't we kick it off this is the bare knuckles part of the show so just letting and letting them fly you sent me <laughs> text uh you had a funny experience and and one of your um project managers had a funny experience with you guys were a warm lead and a vendor just ghosted you it's super weird because like I'm used to having to push vendors back and I'm used to having to like play the game with internal stakeholders and blah, blah, blah. But it's like, okay. So with these folks, mm-hmm. we really wanted to work with them. We wanted to run a full <laughs> trial POC. We really wanted to have like a business case discussion with them. I mean, we like signed NDAs and then they just disappeared. So I'm like, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I mean, look, look, I mean, look, I'm in, Professionally, my day job, I'm in the online dating business. There's a lot of suppliers that get iffy about, you know, dealing with companies in that space for all sorts of weird, morally ambiguous reasons. And I mean, I would love to slag them in a separate conversation, but we don't have enough time for a single episode for that. (laughs) But like, I'm trying to give you money potentially. And I want to utilize like your solution potentially and let you have our logo and so on. I just don't know quite, dude, what kind of a fucking soup sandwich of a sales organization doesn't fucking reach back after the NDA? And it's been a fucking month. Oh, I mean, they do want money, right? That is part of, that's part of the trial. I, bro, you're the sales guy. You fucking tell me. That's amazing. Um, yeah. As I recall, they, they kind of disappeared after the security questionnaire, right? Is that it? I think well, maybe that's the red flag. Yeah. Like, you know, we, we gave them just some basic documentation because, mm. you know, we're in the security business and also just like B2B sales, you still have to go through your compliance checks. You still have to go through legal checks. You still have to go through like various checkoffs, which I would think at this point is industry standard for anyone. And uh, these guys aren't a small shop. I mean, they have a you know global footprint in terms of their clients. Um, so I, I just think at this point, like, I don't think it was an accident. I, I really have to believe this was an intentional decision, but then from a leadership point of view and, you know, just in terms of like good relationship management, be straight up about it. Like, if you don't want to work with us, cool. Just tell us, let us know. It's fine. There are plenty of other competitors in the space. Um, but you know, when you, when you're a supplier and you're pulling that kind of thing, and like, you know, with respect to just not getting sued, I'm not going to name and shame them in the in this episode, but you better believe every single organization and CISO that I talk to or CIO, right, that's especially in our space or anywhere that deals with, um, you know, yeah. an online customer platform, you know, I'm going to tell them how much of a fucking hot mess fucking dumpster fire you are as an organization. You know, I'm going to dissuade anyone who will listen to me not to give you I- money not to give you the time of day. So congratulations. I mean, yeah. And we've talked about that. 
but this might be the first time that somebody's gotten on the hit list as a warm lead. I'm trying to like back into the logic here. Like you approached them and they still ghosted you. Well, and that's the thing too. It's like we, again, we, we, we signed an NDA. We figured this was going to be the start of a routine business development conversation. And um, yeah, I just, I don't know what to say other than the fact that even if you don't want to deal with a certain prospect, right? Even if you've gone as far as like, hey, we signed an NDA with these guys, then some VP up top's like, we don't want to deal with them. You still kind of probably should let us know that that's the thing. Otherwise, your reputation is going to be soiled. And you can't, we are in a digitally connected industry where literally everyone is just a couple clicks away for accessibility. So why in the world would you want to piss people off that are connected to other people who are potential clients or prospects for you? I don't understand it. Yeah, just, I mean, we've talked about honesty in the process. This is just another instance of that in the middle of the process. Look, I know we signed the NDA. I went back to my leadership. I don't know. You know, this is like basic shit. Like, we just, we can't just be up front. Be up front. Don't be a coward. Don't be a coward. Um. I had, uh, I saw a friend's post. I actually just uh, interviewed her. So that's coming out on a different podcast. But her post was, this is actually the, the fir- one of two that I saw this week that is a public LinkedIn post that literally says, dear vendor or dear, dear salesperson. <laughs> so now we're at the stage of open letters. And the, the, the gist of her letter was like, look, if you have come to me, And I have told you we need more time. We need more time. I am the owner of this project. My CISO respects me and trusts me to be the owner of that project. If you go around me to get to him, I consider that a breach of trust and I will end the relationship there. It was pretty simple. She's like, I'm nice until you do this and then I'm not anymore, which is very reasonable. But we've talked about this in terms of the prospecting approach. But once you're like in process to try and hurry things along by doing the end run. That's bad mojo. It's just bad form. It's rude. It's disrespectful. And, uh, and I mean, you're the CISO, right? You have lieutenants, you trust them to handle shit cause you can't do it all. It's just, it's just a, it's not a good, a good look. Well, there's like multiple levels to that too, right? Cause first of all, this goes back to something that we've been saying since we started the show. As a, as a client-side individual, your quota is not my problem. So mm-hmm. if whoever on their sales side, you know, they want to meet a deadline to close a deal or whatever it is, and this is their way to try to shortcut to that, that is obviously, obviously very, very poor short-sighted thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, there's the other factor, too, where I believe um, your, your um, uh, acquaintance there, she, it's a female, too, right? Yes. Yeah. Okay, mm-hmm. cool. So... <clears throat> Women in cyber right now, really important. Women in leadership positions, really important to like protect and to encourage and to develop. On just so many fucking levels, for you to be dealing in good faith, or sorry, for a female leader, a project yes. manager, leader of any kind, to be dealing with you in good faith, and for you to turn around and try to mm. go over their head to get something that you want that directly impacts the project or the thing that they're in charge of. It is, are like a, you could say it's not sexist. 
fucking intentional or not, dude, it's it a is. bad fucking look. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fucking terrible. What are you doing? What are you? It's so yeah. fucking disrespectful. And you know what? I feel for I feel for your for your us call your friend. I feel for your friend because honestly, like you know, as as a, as a dude in cyber, I would find that extremely insulting. As a woman in cyber, who's worked their ass off, gotten their the trust of their executive found themselves in a position of real leadership where they can impact and make some change and really show their stuff and develop their career. And they got to deal with this shit. Yeah. Fuck that, man. It's coming yeah. from all sides. Yeah. And also like, I just want to say to that salesperson, like, was it worth it? <laughs> Cause you're going to have to go back to your CRO and be like, I had it like in evaluate or I had it in proof. And then I lost it cause I did this thing and they just froze me out. Like, I was, what are you going to say? That's just dumb. Well, you know, too, and it's just like, like I, did, I didn't have a chance to mention this to you in the, in our WhatsApp chat, but like even today I was, I have been um, trying to work with this uh, supplier for a little while and we finally got the point like with like things financially and stuff that we could start talking to them and, and get some demos going and that kind of thing. Really excited about this. I find out from the person leading their account engagement team like right at the start of the call, he's like, Hey man, I listened to your show. I think it's great. It's awesome. So I'm just like, cool. So that means people are listening to this. So if you're that salesperson who did that to that project manager, right? Like we don't need to name and shame you, but just know mm -hmm. people are going to recognize that pattern of behavior because, you know, going back to the basis of psychology, if this is how you're treating this individual and this organization, in this case, that's not a fucking one-off man. That's just how you do business. Yep. Yeah. And people will remember that shit. Yeah, man. All right. Well, let's get over that silliness. Um, <laughs> cool. All right. So with, I mean, we could fill the show, but we got to save some powder for another, another time. So mm. um, let's move on to trends, Ooh, shall we? Yeah. All right. So um, a couple of big things. Uh, one, I think, the big for me was the introduction of Slack, Slack GPT. So we have seen the incorporation of LLMs in Microsoft. We have seen Google respond. We talked about that the other week with uh, the cybersecurity AI workbench, which, man, they need some product namers over there. Um, and then now Slack introducing a GPT model inside of the tool with the ability to uh, build code on it. Like the developers that work with Slack can build workflows and things. So what does that look like? It looks like natural language commands. It looks like if you're in a big organization using Slack and you're trying to jump into a channel and instead of going backwards and trying to read everything, you can issue a command that's like sum it up and it can do it in natural language. Ideally, it also means natural language commands like, you know, export this and send it to my email, which is super cool for productivity. And that is 100% the direction that all these tools are going in. Um, I had some concerns. I just did a post that was like, as you introduce that generative language inside of a place where people are collaborating, I don't know, that becomes a little tricky. We know how plausible it is. Hypothetically, people are using it for phishing emails, but email is one thing. We've been trained on email for 25, 30 years inside these uh chat applications where people respond much faster it gets a little trickier and then we know 
credentials are often the first target. And if someone were to slide into your Slack instance posing as an employee and they can just do quick natural language commands instead of having to drop a payload or run malware, I don't know, that that is something to consider. Yeah, you know, I look at this, again, from the practitioner side and, and really it's just about risk mitigation. Mm-hmm. Um, I had a really good conversation with um, one of my supply partners today specifically about that because they're... Um, <clears throat> They're injecting uh, GPT type capabilities within their tool. Mm. And so the thing I asked was like, okay, so are you guys running like a separate instance that you've like essentially procured from OpenAI that's not actually connected to the main LLM? Right. Yeah. And they said, yeah. I was like, okay, cool. So that putting it out there, that is a major, major plus for yeah. presenting GPT capable technology with minimized risk. I'm not saying elimination of risk, but minimized risk because realistically putting the prompt into the publicly available LLM, that's what's causing so much data privacy concern. So if you take that away, then yes, then it just becomes another component within the infrastructure that has to be protected similar to anything else within the infrastructure, right? I, I still, I agree with you. If a bad actor gets presence in your environment and then they start moving laterally and they figure out what tools you're actually using and they can compromise various accounts that have access to it, can manipulate, yes, like a lot of bad shit happens when they get inside the firewall. A lot of bad shit happens when they get inside the firewall, you know, for the last 30, 40 years. Yes. Since we've had internet, since we had firewalls. So I, I, I think like that's a separate risk conversation. But I think in terms of the overall GPT level risk, it just comes down to the relationship with the publicly facing LLM. If you yep. can control that access and you can keep it all within your perimeter, I, I think it's just another tool that you have to manage. And as you said, you know, in terms of career development, two things ought to be happening. Dial down the hype and, you know, really double down on first principles, like you're saying, you know, understanding the risk mitigation strategies, you know, where your environment is or is not vulnerable, but also really getting into the guts. Maybe it's off hours and understanding how these LLMs work, how these other features work, and just really getting familiar with them because they are coming. Uh, and you know, whether you're prepared or not is beside the point. <laughs> so. No, no, for sure. And like, look, dude, I make no pretension to anyone. I am not some kind of like brilliant savant CISO or hacker or anything like that. Like I'm good at my job because I understand people and because I yeah. always refer back to the basic fundamentals of good infosec. Mm-hmm. I'm personally, a, a, a big kind of believer in, in the NIST based approach. Mm-hmm. Um, I know, uh, was it Amber just put out a really good video yeah, yeah. Um, the other day, just talking awesome. about the, the yeah. difference between NIST and MITRE. I was like, man, it's like if Amber's out uh, when we see her blackout, I definitely have to thank her for that kind of content because I think that's really good. Uh, but again, just sticking to the fundamentals if you're on the practitioner side makes dealing with a lot of these emerging technologies a lot more palatable because if you're trying to deal with it on a, on a capability or a tech-by-tech basis, there's too much new shit coming out yes. every week to do that. Like you yeah, lose you your mind. Get- you can get real shiny object syndrome real fast. Just stick to the basics. Stick to what got you in your job, which was good infosec. And you will understand logically, if you understand your business and your environment, how to mitigate the risk and protect yourselves from the threats based off these technologies. It just all goes back to stick to the fundamentals. 
Hey, Bare Knuckle Brawlers. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe and follow our LinkedIn page for updates, including upcoming swag giveaways, live events, and more. And now let's get back into it. So you wanted to bring up personnel development and you wanted to talk on the CISO side. And I remember you gave a, a talk just this week at, uh, or last week at the time this airs um, on the CISO's role as head coach. And uh, yeah, let's talk more about that. Yeah, man. And again, I get applies on the sales side too, but from my perspective, I find you know, there's this reputation of a CISO as like some kind of like angry dictator or something like that, or, <laughs> or a disconnected executive. And I, I think maybe there was a lot of that back in the day. I think that's what led to a lot of compromises happening that shouldn't have happened. Uh, but I think in the modern business, especially if you're working at a medium-sized enterprise or even, even at the Fortune 500 level, I, I would yeah. think, you have to look at what you're doing is leading a high-performance team as part of an organization of high performance teams, if you're if you're working at the right kind of shop. Mm -hmm. So, you know, this is where I've always encouraged like folks who get into professional business, like have some experience doing something in athletics or something outside of work altogether where you have to play in different roles within the team environment. So you can naturally understand, like, okay, if I'm in charge of this team, I really need the buy-in of this team to actually achieve anything. Right? Like no, no CISO does the job. On their yeah. own. Maybe someday they'll AI up like a CISO personality. <laughs> you can just make all the decisions, and I'm sure that's going to happen someday. But for now, you got to rely on people because we're still people leading people. So, mm -hmm. you know, from a coaching standpoint, some of the things I do, like I'm very democratic with my team as much as I can be. I defer to my team leads. I specifically redesigned and structured my team so that I had a good, strong cadre of team leads who are handling specific capability teams. And I empower them and I lean on them and I'm like, okay, well, what do you want to do with this? And if there's a thing where it's like, I have to come down with a directive, like we're cool with that. But 90% of the time I'm like, Hey, so here's a thing we have to solve, or here's the thing we have to do. What do you think is the best way of going about this? You deal with mm -hmm. the people the best, like, what, let me know. And we come to a, an alignment. So when I'm speaking to, for example, my higher executives or other colleagues around the organization about a topic. I've generally already spoken to the people on my teams who it impacts, especially on the team lead level. I've gotten alignment with them. So I, I'm not just speaking for myself when I'm speaking outside of the team. I'm speaking Smart. for the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're like broadcasting the consensus up the chain. Correct. And then, you know, from a development standpoint and how I keep my people like bought in, generally speaking, um, you know, I really am a big believer in succession planning, right? So I asked my people very in a structured conversation, like, what do you want to do? What do you want to see in the next six months, 12 months, 18 months, three years, five years? Mm, and then good. what can I do to help enable that? And what do I need you to deliver for me to enable that? And the other thing too, is I, I don't believe that, you know, building an empire as any kind of leader or, or, or whatever, like practitioner executive I don't think that applies anymore. I think the days of having 10, 15, 20 year careers, the same shop, even though, you know, we've introduced some folks who are like that. I think by and large, that's, that's very rare. That's an outlier yeah, type of thing. For sure. Um, you know, so I tell my guys, especially like certain guys I have in mind when I'm saying this, I tell them like, I'm not going to be in this job forever. I would like you to take this job or be capable of taking this job or be capable of becoming a CISO somewhere else. Mm -hmm. Right. When it's my time to go. 
and I, and I speak to them and I develop them and I coach them with that in mind. I try to give them different experiences where it's like, Hey, here's like, um, an executive event where I can bring in some team lead folks, come on out to this thing, meet other peers. Hey, here's a conference like, you know, in Ireland or here's other things, go do this thing, meet people, build your networks. That's That's it. Right. You give them these opportunities to grow and they stay bought in. Like we don't have to pay them $300,000 to be an architect. I can pay you a normal yeah. rate, but give you the opportunities to actually lead and grow your career. And they stay yeah, a lot more successful. I think that's critical. I heard, I guess escaping me right now, but I did hear someone tell me once, I, I train my teams so that they can work somewhere else. Like that they will basically outgrow us, you know, um, And I thought that was incredible in terms of like how you view labor and also like what that does for the team. But to your point, if, if you're hiring for intrinsically motivated people who have high standards of excellence, giving them these other opportunities that support structure, they want to work for you rather than this is just a transaction. Give me the paycheck. I'll do the thing. You know, they're always going to be angling to find a better job if that's your approach. And I mean, look, yeah. I think you know a thing or two about running a good sales organization, running a good marketing team. Like I would love to, I'd love to see if you could, how does this translate in your side of the house? Yeah. I mean, some of those principles apply. I, I'm a firm believer. I've worked in big, big organizations where you feel like a cog in a giant machine and you are specially fitted to this one thing. And if you can't see your way up or out or to something else, if your horizon is very limited, then that creates that transactional. Okay, well, I guess I'm just here for the paycheck, this, that, and the other, move on. But if you have been afforded opportunities to think through big problems, you have a level of autonomy, like we need to do this, what's that strategy gonna look like? And it feels more like you're conferring to solve big problems or just new problems, even novel problems, that is going to be rewarding. And I think that's especially true in startup land, because unless you're working at like a big vendor that's very established and has a brand name, I mean, every day is a new Rubik's cube. (laughs) You're trying to solve like, what does the customer want? What is that? And I think from the sales perspective, you really have to make that a two-way street. Like if marketing comes out, marketing's the tip of the spear, you come out with a whole bunch of buzzwords and claims that you can't back up, you set your sales teams up for failure. If sales goes out and is telling a completely different story than what marketing is trying to drive, ideally driven by product development, then you have this really disjointed bifurcation and they're not working together. Um, But yeah, you got to give them something to work towards. And then you have to create that feedback loop. So again, in startup land, I talk to the sales team. What are you hearing? I mean, I go out there with certain suppositions. Here's a sales playbook. Here's an idea. And they're like, yeah, that doesn't work. They came back with, and you have to respect that. You can't be like, well, it's, you know, just, just do the playbook, you know, like they're the ones out there getting hung up on or getting roasted over a bad demo or something. And you got to take that feedback in for sure. So let me ask you this, because I remember, um, you know, when I was working at big consultancies, I would set up and build services and I would deal with our salespeople who were trying to help me sell them. And they would often come back with feedback and that feedback as a product manager, when I you know, briefly had that role, um, it would kind of influence how I would develop the product, obviously, because I want to satisfy what the customers are actually saying. How important do you believe the relationship or influence that your sales folks should have on the product folks in terms of 
continuing the development and the roadmap of whatever products they're selling. Ooh, that's a tricky problem to solve. Good question though. Here's the, here's the balance, right? If you tilt in every direction that sales wants just to make the sale, just tack on this widget and they'll buy it. You can thrash. You can waste a lot of time, burn a lot of cash. Um, you can make the product less secure, right? Because you just bolt in on stuff to to make it work, just ship it to sell it. Um, so I think there's got to be a certain mechanism whereby there's a, doc, a lot of documentation so that you can demonstrate that there is a critical mass. Like, look, it's not just this one person who's trying to get this one seven-figure deal that would be super great for us to get across the line. It's multiple sellers are saying the same thing. They're running into the same wall. Like, this is something that, you know, you have to have that dialogue and you have to have the evidence. You have to have the data documentation to make it happen. Otherwise, you're going to put your poor product team through twist and turn just to satisfy every whim of every buyer. And then you end up with this, like, chimera of a product that, is all, you know, in every direction. But that said, the product team should still listen to you because if you guys are the ones out there in the trenches trying to push this thing, yeah, yeah, you yeah. might have some merit in what you're saying. Yes, and I think that's where you were talking about people managing people. I mean, that's where the diplomacy comes in, where the soft skills come in in terms of managing those expectations. And you might have to delay some features that were really hot to trot for the product team. You might have to push some, I mean, it's like back and forth, but it has to be a team effort. Otherwise, if you take the dictatorial approach, um, it gets real twisted really quickly. And uh, then people just start leaving. <laughs> it's really expensive to replace people. Yeah, that's like, that hits the nail on the head, man. I, I think, again, part of what we're trying to do with this show is really just improve, not just the specific like vendor to client relationship, but I think, yeah. How how folks within both the practitioner and sales side are dealing with their own internal organizations, yeah, that yeah. has a huge impact and influence on their level of success externally as well. For sure. I don't know how to build that metric into the sales process, but I would love to train sellers to kind of begin to gauge and grade cultures inside of organizations because it has a lot of bearing on sales velocity, you know, where the number of stakeholders are involved, stuff like that. So people can get a better sense of how these things are going rather than just guess and do dumb shit, like try to do an end run around to the CISO or something right out of, out of desperation. I mean, I, um, I definitely think at some point, um, I really love your approach to marketing and sales. Like you definitely should be, you know, utilizing that strategic leadership, like, like more, I, I think, man, like you're, you're preaching the truth. I, I think, you're going to be helping you and Danny and some of the folks that we deal with, man. I think you guys are going to change the game and you're doing so already. Yeah, we're going to try. Um, cool. So we're almost at time for this episode, but I did want to let our listeners know we're invading Toronto. So <laughs> the CyberX Canadian Women in Cybersecurity Conference is at the end of this month, May 30th in Toronto. And for the first time since Black Hat last year, both Georges will be in the same room at the same time. So shit's going to get real. It's going to get loud and it's going to be a lot of fun. I'm excited for it. I definitely am excited for it. I, um, 
Uh, I know we're both going to be kind of taking part in panels, which is going to be super cool. Yep. Um, shout out to Octavia Howell and Ron the Bun and Maggie Kelly and the folks that I get to work with. Um, I know that outside of doing some fun things with you, George, I'm going to be spending a lot of time uh, in the um, career coaching area. So uh, nice. folks who are coming out for CWC, want to talk to a real CISO and you know let them kind of help you figure out how to get the most of your career. I am there for you. Um, this is really about highlighting uh, the women in our industry who you know, are, are currently in the industry and trying to get you know the, the best out of their careers. And as well, there's going to be a lot of students, a lot of like graduate level students and folks in undergrad, nice. some of the college programs. Um, I think this is really one of the best conferences in all of Canada in terms of our industry. Uh, I had a really good time last year with it. George, you're going to have a great time. Honestly, thanks for coming out, man. I think it's really huge for the conference. It's huge for the show. I'm super pumped to hang out with you again in person. Let's hang out yeah. for more than 10 minutes. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's it's going to be great. Hey, if in 10 minutes we came up with this podcast, imagine what we could do in an hour. Oh, God, Dude, I know. Blow shit up. <laughs> I look forward to see you, brother. Yeah, it's going to be great. And it's also like my f- favorite pastime is meeting LinkedIn connections in real life. I mean, we can be going back and forth. We've built up a good listenership in Canada. So hoping to meet all of you in person. Um, so with that, we'll close it out and we will see you next time. Oh, one thing, if you if you are going to be in the Toronto area at the end of the month, cyberx.org, get more information on Canadian women in cyber register there are still seats open come on out do it that's it for bare knuckles and brass tacks this week if you like what you hear please consider giving us a rating or a review and share on all your socials it helps others find the show new episodes now drop every monday new day listen and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts